Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story, and the people that craft and tell them. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, and also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories, true stories, personal stories, grit stories. We are nearing the end of season number three, dedicated to grit talks and the best of. And today, we have got two stories from the Mental Health Happyish Hour. The first one is by Ben, who lives up in Massachusetts. The second is by Walt, who lives down in Florida. I not only hope you enjoy these stories, but as you listen to these stories, see what you like, see what works, and apply them to your stories as you craft and tell them. One of our main goals here, as I said already, is to help you get better at this stuff. And this is one way to get better. As always, check the show notes for upcoming events. We have got two events coming up in the first two Sundays of September. We would love to see you there or perhaps join us to tell a story or support storytellers. And we're looking forward to sharing more with you soon about what is in store for Grit. We've been at it for more than two years and we really appreciate your support. However you are involved, thank you. Okay, Ben and Walt, let's dive in. When the underground bookstore closed, actually it didn't close, they were under new management and I really wanted a job there. They started phasing out things that that I felt were really important, a lot of the women's literature, a lot of the African-American literature. So I'd go in and I would ask them to get more stuff or hire me to be their buyer. I'd hang out with the new owner. We'd talk, he'd give me a little knickknacks because they had little things at the side door. And this went on for about a year. And then I got a postcard in the mail saying they were um, filing for bankruptcy and this was going to be their last week. So I went rushing over there to say goodbye to my friend and maybe get some stuff on discount. And as soon as he saw me, he said, I have something for you. And he gave me a plastic rat. It was a rubber rat. He said, this came in the mail. And I'm thinking, I thought this would be perfect for you. As soon as I thought of it, this was for you. And then he gave me a publication. And I started flipping through it. And he said, I just want to let you know that this is what I believe, but I don't support what they do. The back page had a P.O. box address where if you murdered someone who was a minority, they would send you a dollar. I had dealt with racists in the neighborhood that I had grown up with. And I had dealt with skinheads. And my friends always told me skinheads with white laces, they were Nazis but I'd never dealt with a white nationalist before. He had a graying mullet khakis and just a button-down shirt. I would have never known. What happens after I can't talk about on Zoom, but as I went home, I showed my friends and they felt, well, this isn't really a racist or nationalist publication because it just, they hate everybody. They hate everybody, but they don't seem to target anybody who's white. They want everybody who's not white to be put on like a leper island it's a strange time. It's 1990 and there's no internet yet, at least to what it is now where people can circulate this information. And when I go to the phone booth, there are little stickers with a phone number that you can call to join the, the something like the new nationalist party for free white America. And I call it and it's recorded messages tell it talking about everything that's wrong with America. And this is how information is getting circulated around. 
A friend of mine gives me a cassette tape of this band that I really like. And for about a year, year and a half after, I keep listening to them and I make mixtapes for other people. And I find out that they've come in town from the UK. And that's when somebody tells me that they have a Nazi following. I said, but I don't hear it in the music. And I've given the tapes out. My friends say, well, that's only in the UK, maybe in New York, but not in Boston, not in Cambridge. This will never happen. And I actually go early. I go in the day and I go to the club and I ask them and I meet the headliner. Uh, this guy, his name was Boyd Rice. I didn't know anything about him. And then I found out that he was pen pals with Charles Manson. Yeah, I, I really know how to pick a concert. When I go in that night, I'm freaked out because it's a goth club, but there are hardly any goths there. Everybody is in pink and blue turquoise kind of Izotter polo t-shirts. And I'm like, what's going on here? This is my goth club. And this just seems really out of place. There's a man with a suit who looks like he could be their father who's staring at me. And then I see the one guy who looks like a skinhead with a swastika on the side of his jacket. And he's holding a cane with a brass handle. And I know that kind of cane, you can take it off and put a dagger in it. And I go to the whatever security they have. And I say, check the cane. They did. They said, it is that kind of cane. I said, did you check his boot for the blade? They said, we didn't. I then see a skin check hold her arm up and give a Nazi salute. But then an Asian drag queen kisses that skin check on the cheek. And I'm just like, what is going on here? I'm freaking out. I start trying to talk to my friends, but my friends look at me and they look at all these skinheads because there are about 50 of them here, Nazis, and they don't know me anymore. They distance themselves from me. I don't know what to do, but I don't want to leave. I go in the other room and my friends that are Jewish, they're standing in the back room refusing to go in and they're pissed off. My female friends want to go in there and fight. I decide that I'm not going to leave because this is my town and I walk right up to the stage and I start listening, and I understand now. Afterwards, they're now walking around with their beer bottles held like clubs, staring at me, just kind of circling around. And I don't have anybody there. The one person who backs me up is the one person I don't consider my friend, and he's egging them on. He's like, you're like Big Mike Tyson. You're like Muhammad Ali. You can beat these white boys up with one hand behind your back. He's like, come on, come on. This is my boy here. And I'm like, Dude, shut the fuck up. If there's one person I want to kill here, it's him. I distance myself from him. And then this guy comes on by the name of Boyd Rice. And I don't think I've ever seen evil the way that I could have seen evil that night. Because he had no equipment at all. He literally just spit into the microphone and looped it as a drum beat and started talking about hate. And all of a sudden it was like sharks smelling blood and this mosh bit just started and i refused i stayed right next to the guy with the swath sticker and we just kept elbowing each other the whole time i think i'm gonna get killed and i looked boyd right in the eyes and he ended that show after his first song because he knew that if he continued i probably would get killed i was freaked out and i went home the lighted path and i thought to myself if any of these people were walking down the street i'd never know they always used to say that the skinheads had the white laces, the communists had the red laces, but Izod shirts, polo shirts, plain closed, 1990. When I look now at everything that's happening, when they talk about how people are blending in, I saw it happening then. 
I saw the information being circulated on the phone booths, the zines being passed out. And I tried to tell people, but I didn't have the support or people who would listen. And I don't think anybody thought that it was that important. But now with the internet, all those communities get together and there's things like 4chan and there's um, Discord. And when I tell people this story in the past, I used to talk about how brave I was to just walk right up to the front of the stage and refuse to leave. And when I look at the state of things now, I don't think I did much of anything. It was 1960 and I was 12 years old and I was having great trouble dealing with my mother's colon cancer. There had been a steady two-year decline, a slow decline. And she had been a beautiful woman and, and, and now she was in bed. She'd been in and out of hospitals, in and out of consciousness. And the radiation treatments had burned a hole in, in her back at the base of her spine. She would never walk again. And she was in a hospital bed in, in our living room. And this was our house, a house that my father had built. He, would, he worked in a mill. He was a factory worker, but he was also a carpenter. And he had built this house for her when they were newlyweds in the 1930s. They lived there a long time before they had children. And I was 12 years old. And, and, and what was happening was I couldn't understand it. I couldn't, I couldn't phantom why a, a good person, beautiful person like my mother was in such pain and suffering. And, and I had an afternoon paper route and I used to go out on this paper route in the afternoon. I, I'd worry about, I, I, I wanted to laugh and, and I wanted to cry and I wanted to play again. I wanted things to be normal. And, and I was really tired of people telling me, it's gonna be all right, it's gonna be all right. It's not gonna be all right. I knew it wasn't gonna be all right. I didn't know what it was gonna be, but I was tired of people treating me like I might break. And I didn't know what to do. And on this one day when I went out on my paper, it was about a mile from my house by the time I finished. And I walked along. And I, as I delivered my last paper, some of my buddies were up on the corner, street corner, and they were hanging out and they were laughing. And they had a tennis ball. And they were daring each other to throw the ball at passing cars. But nobody had thrown it yet. And I walk up and they all get quiet. How you doing? Are you all right? Are you fine? I, I'm damn fine. I, I, I'm all right. Listen, you guys, you something wrong with you guys. You're afraid to throw that ball, aren't you? You're, you're, you're chickens. Let me have that ball. And I grabbed the ball and I flung it as hard as I could. And it went out in the road and there was a shiny green Buick driving by. It hit the hood of that thing and boom, and bounced into the windshield. It was a tennis ball, so it didn't break the glass. But the woman who was driving slammed on the brakes. The tires screeched. My buddies took off. And I was standing there by myself looking at her. And she got out of the car and she glared at me. Do you know what you did? My son is in the front seat. His head hit the dash. He could have been seriously injured. What's wrong with you? Cars didn't have seat belts back then. She had grabbed him to steady the impact. I looked and there was a little six-year-old boy in the front seat. He was sobbing, had a red welt on his head. She said, come here, boy, get in the car. I'm going to take you home and tell your mother what you did. I don't know why I got in the car. I mean, it was a different time back then. 
1960. I, I she wasn't from our neighborhood, but but I felt so ashamed and, and sorry. I got in the car, and as we were driving, I was giving her directions on how to get to my house. And as we got close to the house, she says, "What do you think your mother's going to say?" I said, "I don't know. If she'll say anything. She's sick." The woman said, "Sick? Your mother's sick? Yeah, yeah. She has cancer. I, I don't think she's going to make it. I, I don't know. If she'll be awake." As we stopped in front of my house, the, the woman looked at me and said, "Well, I think you've learned your lesson. I'm not going to go in and bother your mother." It looked like she was about to cry. Her eyes were watering. I said, "Well, thank you. I have learned my lesson." She said, "Don't you throw a ball again at a car." And as I got out of the car, I began to cry, and I cried really hard because I hadn't cried in two years. And 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 here, I, I, for some reason, I was all upset. I, maybe I was afraid of what she was going to do, or what my father was going to do, or what was going to happen. But that didn't happen. Two weeks later, my mother died. I was in the backyard playing. I was throwing rocks at a can, and my father came out and he hugged me and said, "Well, she's gone. She wanted to die at home, but something else died when she died." Something in our house, something changed. My father changed. I changed. My younger sister changed. Our house was no longer a place of laughter and fun. It was dark and cold, and we stopped celebrating holidays, and and we just sort of went on in a fog. Well, eventually, my sister married and moved off, and I went off to college. And my father remarried, sold the house. It's still standing, the house that he built. And I sometimes I go by there. I've driven by. I don't know who lives there now. I know that you can't go back because when a house doesn't have the people in it who love each other, it's not a house. It's just a building. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Ben up in Massachusetts and Walt down in Florida. Thank you for crafting and telling your stories and letting me share them here on The Grid Podcast. Check the show notes for upcoming events, including another edition of the Mental Health Happyish Hour virtual open mic, as well as Suicide Noted. The Mental Health Happyish Hour is an open mic, so you can come and tell a story or watch Suicide Noted is a curated show, but we would love for you to come and watch and listen and hear these stories. Put a link to both of those in the show notes. And if you listen on Apple and could take a moment and rate and review this podcast, we would really appreciate it. It helps people find the podcast, and we do want more people to find the podcast. Thank you for that. And that is all for episode number 95. Boom. Boom.